Hello everyone, welcome to this podcast on India Independent Films. This is your host Sashi and today I'm going to be talking to filmmaker Hemant Gaba who's known for his films Shuttlecock Boys which was his first independent feature film made in 2011 and uh, the film X Past is Present where he directed a segment uh, it's a collaborative feature film and he was one of the directors out of the 11 directors who made the film and his documentaries Japan in Nagaland uh, made in 2015 and An Engineer Dream made in 2018 which is a depiction of the life of uh, students in Kota who are preparing for entrance examinations both engineering and medical and this film won him the national award for best film in the non feature category in 2019 so today in this podcast uh, we are going to be talking about his work his life and also thoughts on independent filmmaking welcome himant how are you uh, thank you so much uh, shashi yeah i'm good uh, thank you for having me here thank you thank you for joining me let's uh, begin with an engineer dream uh, the documentary which you made in 2018 and it's being talked yes. about a lot right now on twitter uh, it, and many people are considering it to be a very realistic uh, uh, depiction of the lives of students in kota and uh, and when i watched it and i i found it so amazing that uh, there are no judgments no biases you're just depicting how life is the, uh, life just, just the way life is in kota so uh, could you uh, tell me like Uh, how did you uh, pick these students that you wanted to follow and how was it convincing them uh, to be in your film how did you convince them and their families uh, so we had interviewed almost 100 a little more than 100 uh, kids and teenagers for the film and in a lot of cases let's say if we would interview somebody and we would just interview for like 5 minutes using a phone just to get a sense of the person and uh, whether she's come if she or he is comfortable and what kind of background he or she has so after we did that and then we shortlisted few and then we would request them to get permission for them from their parents and in most cases their parents would refuse so then we would move on to the next batch so uh, that's how we just kept doing and doing and it went i mean over 100 almost uh, in the cases uh, like in this four characters uh, who eventually came on board uh, so one the shashwat uh, he said that he's 18 plus and his parents not going to agree but he wants to be part of the film so we f- so we thought okay i mean if there is somebody who is enthusiastic to be part of the film and uh, he's right that he's 18 plus and he does not need uh, his parents consent uh, i don't think his parents even know i mean i don't know whether he, his parents know even till date or he has shown the film to his parents uh, so that's how he came on board with the shubha the girl we had gone to uh, one college uh, sorry one hostel where uh, it, it was a girls hostel uh, through some connection and then uh, we were supposed to interview a couple of them and then all of them backed out and then uh, our crew was there in the hostel and she herself approached that uh, she or she wants to be part of the firm and then she also to consent from her parents so i mean these two cases sort of worked out uh, it was just by chance when we were kept uh, when we were just trying to hit 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 and something really got hit and in case of suraj what happened was uh, uh, the associate director uh, uh, vedant sharma he is actually originally from kota and he also went through this whole process 
and uh, he had a teacher who now became a founder of a coaching institute so he spoke to him uh, generally asking him if he would recommend any students and he recommended suraj he said uh, suraj is on scholarship and is one of the bright students and because we went to suraj and his father through a teacher's reference so they agreed i mean it uh, that gentleman was his teacher also so it just uh, worked out in different ways uh, but uh, yeah i mean uh, it it is it was just like unique mm-hmm. in terms true. of the way it worked out yeah true true and uh, could you tell me about the scene where the girl cries at the end when she isn't able to make it like uh, how difficult is it shooting something like that and do they uh, does it become difficult for the person also like uh, the girl also why like my thought was why would she allow someone to shoot mm-hmm. such a vulnerable moment mm-hmm. how was a scene like that made uh, so she had actually cleared the exam and then she, she was still crying because uh, her marks was very less uh, and then uh, so what had happened was that before that we had shot with her enough and uh, uh, as a guy i was not <clears throat> excuse me as a guy i was not allowed to enter into the girls hostel so uh, we had uh, two female crew members uh, actually editor sabha rehman was shooting and uh, once there was also shilpi batrai mani she also went few times so uh, she had shubha had become very comfortable with them in fact sabha had actually gone to her house in surat also because in the beginning we see couple of scenes from so uh, there was so uh, sabha did a very good job of uh, sort of forming the bond and after a while uh, the camera was like okay i mean the just camera is just there so uh, before the this result come out uh, uh, sabha has already been talking to her over over camera and then it was just a continuation so i in my opinion uh, she was not very she was just doing her thing and uh, and she had gotten used to that the camera is there some of the days so i think that was the moment and it, i mean uh, so she has seen the film of course and uh, uh, she she was completely all right with it and uh, yeah but there was also actually couple of things that happened which we didn't shoot like she had actually uh, on that very day after this scene uh, towards the evening she was still very upset and she had actually fainted in the hostel so i thought that was like much worse to to if that would have been uh, shot but i thought this was still okay in terms of yeah i mean if you really compare like what we know and what we project on screen but yeah to the audi- audiences uh, they will not know the background story mm-hmm. so i can imagine yeah i hope and it answers yeah definitely it does when you make a documentary like do you uh, show it to the people who have been shot and then release it like do you take their consent before releasing it is so, it important yeah i think it is very important and we did this we did follow the same process but in couple of cases like shubhas and uh, uh, shashwat case uh, and in fact in ali's case also so the film was not released but it it started going to the festivals uh and then uh, they saw it little later because nobody is based out of delhi and i am based out of delhi so with respect to shashwat i actually traveled to bhopal just to show him the film with shubha it what happened was that uh, she is from surat and she is was studying in dehradun so she would go by delhi and uh, when she was going by delhi we met her on her like a uh, transit time when we went to we went to restaurant with her we like we had lunch together and then she saw the film on my laptop 
Okay. So it is nice. uh, important. Only in the case of Suraj, uh, he saw all the footage. So the film was in edit, but his father wanted to watch the portions that we were using in the film. So we showed them, uh, in fact, to Suraj, to his father, to his aunt, and to also his cousin. Um, uh, before, uh, when the film was in edit and the film, film was not out yet. And then we took the consent from them that these are the portions that we intend to use in the film. And then they were okay. And we actually also took their consent on a written form. So it's not that like an oral consent also. Okay. okay. Yeah. How, but how did you convince the coaching institutes? Like uh, now a lot of coaching institutes are resenting the sh- like uh, the content which is being made on Kota and uh, mm-hmm. because it is a critique on the system. Uh, so how did you convince mm-hmm. them? How was it shooting the that result declaration scene, which is at the end where this guy tops? Uh, mm-hmm. And how was it all done? Yeah, so um, with respect to coaching institutes, <coughs> excuse me, although media does say that uh, coaching institutes uh, are accountable, but if you ask me, in my personal opinion, coaching institutes are uh just providing the service because there is like they are just taking advantage of the situation because there is demand yeah. but who is creating the demand it's people like us it's families it's peers and it's society at large that is actually uh, mm. creating that demand i mean we will be always bombarded with a lot of things and it depends on us what we'll choose and the moment we start choosing it uh, they'll automatically be a demand so sure. uh, so so in fact uh, just to share with you that when I went to Kota for the first time, I also went with this uh, pre-mindset, uh, like sort of prejudice that it's a coaching institute that are antagonists. But only after spending some time there, I realized they are just uh, like they are like small. Yeah, they're yeah. just the facilitators. I mean, of course, they have their agendas of profit making over students' mental health. Of course, that is there. Mm. But who is who is making like who is creating that space for somebody to exploit it? It's us. So, uh, so, and coming to your question that how did we convince them? So uh, what we did was that we interviewed all the founders first. Okay. And, uh, or the owners or the founders or anybody in the top management committee. And then we tried to gain access. But uh, to be honest, we didn't get a good access in coaching institutes. That's the reason uh, we have very limited footage. And also the moment we put camera in a yeah. classroom, yeah, uh, the teacher would be at his best, or you know, uh, uh, <laughs> okay. we would have. I mean, we would need to shoot, let's say, uh, at least twenty, thirty days together at a stretch that uh, they would uh, lose the uh, this yeah. consciousness, consciousness towards the camera. But that didn't happen. We were granted only very limited, like hourly kind of access, and that's only very few times. So, and we didn't manage to cross that barrier. So, I think in terms of creating access we failed at that attempt but uh, it is okay i mean yeah uh, yeah it is a difficult process making a documentary yeah, yeah. can you take me through the technicality uh, of this shooting process if you could share with me the equipments you used yeah so um uh, we were initially thinking of using only sony a7s2 or a7s3 camera but what happened was that uh, we wanted to so in a lot of situations like so kota doesn't have any uh, camera equipment rentals i mean they have some wedding photographers so most of the times things will go from delhi and we tried to hire somebody locally in kota but uh, who was not available all the time 
so uh, also then vedant who's the associate director and uh, he was based in kota that for that few months so he would and he was not a camera person so we gave him a small uh, professional handy camera which shoot 4k it was like sony uh, professional handy camera but it's a very small thing and one does not need to know any technicalities it's like just you just you use the phone you zoom in zoom out etc and uh, like a small tripod and you just put it on it and just start shooting whenever there is need to be and then uh, so we used uh, actually in some of the scenes we have also used 5d we have used sony a7 we have used this pro consumer handy camera and we have also used nikon in couple of like few times because also we would not know many a times that what's going to happen uh, and then moment we take camera from delhi to kota we uh, our bill starts running for every day so so it was a little tricky i mean i wish that we owned the cameras we did buy this uh, small camera like the consumer uh, pro consumer uh, handy camera but other cameras were always rented or it was owned by the camera person in some cases so uh, so that's what we ended up using uh, it's that's the reason you also see a mishmash of footage i mean the footage or the visual quality is not consistent also which we know and we uh, something we i mean we had to sort of work with Uh, and also in the in Shashwat's case, uh, some of the footage is from handy camera, and some of the footage is from his own phone, and the, his phone was not even HD. So that's the reason we see that we have boxed it because if we would make it full screen, then uh, it would just pick, get pixelated. So some of the footage of his uh, like talking to the camera directly is boxed. Uh, that's that's the reason. So it's like multiple formats has happened uh, during the filmmaking. I wish uh, we were more uh, professional. I, I mean, not professional, but we were more equipped in in terms of in terms of making sure that it is uniform. But it is okay. It's a learning process. I think we'll do a, try to do a better job in the next. But does that matter? Like, uh, it's it's about the content which comes out, right? actually in the in these times it does matter i mean especially let's say if you want to sell your product to an ott platform it does matter because a lot of ott platforms actually prefer 4k or minimum hd so uh, so let's say content if if look i'm not talking about this film let's say if any other film in which uh, um, the footage or the format is not consistent but the the film manages to uh, let's say win some big international award then it would not matter to an ott because then the ott will sell it on the let's say winning that international big award uh, but in other cases like our film didn't win any big awards internationally speaking so it is difficult for us probably to try to sell it to an ott platform although it did find a birth in lot of broadcasting stations uh, but broadcasting stations has lower uh, uh, limit, i mean capacity or lower uh, requirements as compared to ott these days so so i mean we also have grown up on this thing that always content matters but i think after the netflix and the ott era okay <laughs> i think it uh, the formats and the uh, you know consistency in the visual form these things do matter until unless your films make it so big that it transcends mm. the boundary of uh, those limitations all these specifications and all yeah 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 okay now uh, talking about documentary as an art form Uh, i have this question for you like how to balance conversations with silences like it is always about interviewing someone or talking to someone how do you find those 
uh, other elements to balance these conversations with so uh, while making this project uh, we were trying not to have any interview sections at all mm-hmm. we wanted yeah. to make it like a very scene based thing and that usually happens when you continue following the person and your uh, his your character's daily actions or his daily or her, her daily encounters with his or her family members or so when you continuously continue happening like for example there is a scene in the film when ali is talking to his mother over phone and we were just happened to be shooting and his mother called or he called his mother or i think his mother called and then we continue just shooting that process so those kind of things will happen organically when we are constantly following the character instead of we tell the character to to take any action mm-hmm. uh but in terms of so what happened in this project was that uh, since we got very little time uh, so the interviews that we see were supposed to be research interviews actually okay but uh, like the first getting to know how each other like get familiar with the character and we thought that we will not use this interview we'll continue filming and we'll have enough material from the uh, otherwise following the characters uh, scenes or the whatever they do in their daily lives but uh, we realized that we got very little access after certain amount of time because the students also had to prepare for iit so they were they had a high constraint on time we would actually wait for 2 3 days to get access for 1 hour so those kind of limitations crop up uh, but generally speaking as a documentary art practice i mean of course there is a uh, conventional method where you actually interview people and in some cases that is the visual approach that the filmmaker is adopting and especially if we see in american documentary formats that's a very common way to do it but whereas if we see some european side and especially the uh, balkan side or east european or russia side they try to follow a very different approach they, they you'll rarely see any interviews uh, Uh, in those documentaries i'm not trying to generalize but more or less broadly speaking so uh, i think creating a good relationship and creating good accessibility with your characters and then uh, so i know so i attended a, a master class in serbia where there was a filmmaker and i really liked the way he approached it you know he forced himself not to take any interviews he took mm. only audio interviews and then when he took all, only audio interviews he is forcing himself as a filmmaker not to use any interview section and then create uh, like use audio as a means uh, and i mean so for example if there is a lot of visuals and then he could use a mix of audio as well mm. as those visuals but he sort of forced himself not to interview any character so that uh, there will not be any scope of using interviews yeah. and it's not that in using interviews bad or anything it's just that uh, we have like uh, the documentary approach has also evolved and um, branched into many ways that also it has been started being compared to fiction and that's the reason we see that there is a lot of dramatization also in the documentaries sometimes yeah. dramatization happens uh, either staging a scene or sometimes it happens just uh, or ordering uh, creating the order of the scenes in a such way like we have done it um, like our there's when suraj talks about the difference between uh, mtech and mba etc so that scene was of course shot in the beginning but we put it in the end that's okay. also a way to dramatize mm-hmm. it but uh, in some cases the dramatization would also happen uh, with visuals or with the filmmaker actually intervening into the process or with music uh, so there are multiple ways uh, to do yeah. it uh so yeah i'm just sort of blabbering on overall things but there are 
lot of facets to it and uh, uh, with respect to interview that's a it's a uh, very well recognized standard and conventional format but a lot of people are trying not to uh, make uh, not to use actually yeah. because just to make it more fiction like or more, create more drama because the Docu-fiction. moment fiction yeah yeah because the moment a, doc- a character speaks to the camera in the format of in- interview it becomes sort of less personal he's just telling you something so it is uh, i mean it is sort of less interesting as compared to if he was part of some action sometimes okay. not always of course sure sure like uh, i i think like many uh, filmmakers are trying to blur the lines between documentary and fiction yes yes yeah and those are also quite interesting yeah so let's talk about your uh, first film shuttlecock boys i read uh, somewhere that you said that it took you 2.5 years uh, to make this film uh can you take me through the process of making one's first film like how uh, how are the converse what are the conversations like with producers and financiers that when you don't have anything to show that you have made before how do you convince mm-hmm. someone mm-hmm. so uh in our case uh we were also the producers and financiers and uh it was a very low budget film and uh now when i look back in hindsight i think uh it was not a wise thing to do to jump to a feature i mean i should have made some shots uh for practice and to uh, create a skill or let's say to improve the skill which i did not have at all and uh, so uh so we didn't really have any i mean so i was used to work in software before and i worked yeah. in software for 7 8 years and then i knew that if i want to make this transition transition uh there is there was used to be a very standard approach at least in 2008 when i did the transition that you go and assist some director or you join a film school i thought i'm too late for a film school although now when i look back i wasn't <laughs> and uh, i never wanted to assist anybody because i thought uh, because like in the especially typical hindi film industry those are the not the films that i associate with and uh, i i wondered that what would i learn barring some uh, management things because i knew the way it works etc so so i thought okay let me just go and make the film and we'll see whatever happens and for me it will be like a film school an exercise uh, mm-hmm. and another uh, mistake that we did probably now it looks like a mistake but probably with, when we were making that decision it wasn't we we ended up shooting in film format we shot in okay. super 16 and uh, unfortunately what happened was the lab that was involved which was one of the probably the most prestigious lab in the country they screwed the negatives or the technicians screwed the negatives and then uh, the film became like the film is from 1930s with, with a lot of um, uh, visual scratches and then uh, they refused to fix it so i had to fight with the owners actually the management and then the owners for about a year to get it fixed uh, Uh, so they then digit the film was digitally restored mm-hmm. so the film was shot on super 16 with only two lenses and the lenses from were from nfdc they were not very sharp lenses they were very old lenses and on the top of it then the film was digitally re- uh, restored mm-hmm. so the film became very you know sort of flattish and uh, uh, like visually there was very less uh, meat in it in a way i mean They, also because we didn't shoot it very well and it was it was just okay we were uh, we were trying to deal with a lot of limitations but uh, i'm not trying to justify i'm just trying to share my mistakes so that if anybody listens to it i mean if they want to adopt a different path maybe i mean there are 
of course some filmmakers who just make their first feature without making any shorts or television or any documentaries and they hit the mark but uh, i wasn't definitely one of them so uh so hence i look at it as a uh, i mean i wish i would have done it differently but uh, i'm sure somebody who hit the mark would think differently also so there's always uh, you know this thing it's a huge task like uh, starting out with a feature film and making it like going through the entire process and making it uh, could you tell me why did you choose to be an independent filmmaker like why does one choose to be an independent filmmaker why not make i mean i'm just throwing this thought like why not make the same film with a subversive idea with, with something which is not mainstream but with a studio why not convince a studio why not convince a producer uh i think today it feels like it is possible since last 4 5 years that at least uh, let's say if i want to make five kind of films or five films at least it is possible that studio or the production house might be interested at least in one or two of them may not okay. like all the five ideas because of commercial uh, uh interest risks. or yeah. uh, risks yeah uh but at least in back in 2008 i didn't think that, that was uh, at least i thought so uh, maybe i i didn't uh, research the market enough uh but i thought that you no know, first of all nobody will uh, would want to put money on a person who has little to no experience almost no experience and nothing to show mm-hmm. so i would want to take take that risk and if why we would want to like uh, there are people who would want to think independent for making it's also um Uh, when it is not independent filmmaking, when it's like a studio thing, then also somebody has to put, uh, somebody has to vouch for you, and that vouching uh, for you generally happens when there is substantial amount of uh, relationship between two individuals. Uh, so, for example, in a typical scenario in the Hindi film industry, an assistant director would assist the main director for many years. then the main director will be willing to vouch for the assistant director that he can also become a director and he will probably produce his films i mean we have seen several yeah. examples like that so but that means a several years of journey and also we don't know whether this journey will be successful or not so it's also risking that much amount of time so having a independent thought is one thing but this is also another element that True. we would want to put for that many number of years and uh, most of the times or let's say half of the times we not we may not even let's say like the director that we are working with or assisting uh, but we are doing it because we also have to survive and so i think it's a very lot of variables are there uh, from a practical standpoint whereas uh, then like a lot of independent filmmakers at least in the country that i know are probably are probably making independent films because they uh don't would not find easily studio financing especially the sl- sort of art house films which are maybe if i can dare say slightly meditative style slow pace films mm-hmm. which uh, usually get a run in uh, festivals uh, sometimes even big festivals i mean i don't think it, it is easy for them to find studio financing because uh, nobody would buy them in terms of commercially speaking and most of the these films actually uh, end up in festivals and then maybe they will get a movie release and movie yeah. doesn't pay much so then how do they recover money so that is also a pattern and then there is also there is a uh, let's say there are filmmakers who don't want to work with established actors because yeah. their because... film dem- yeah mm-hmm. their film demands that or they think that the film demands working with amateurs or real life uh, people so there is also that practice of thought so yeah so yeah 
yeah so i guess there are multiple reasons for true. The independent filmmakers make those choices true so uh, i'm just uh, throwing in one more thought like mm-hmm. like what about uh, making a film without uh, like maybe established actors but also lowering the budget so much that that there are no risks but still making it with a studio uh, are studios not interested in projects like that does it like is is it uh, futile for them yeah because uh, what happens is the studio also has uh, quite a, a big amount of running cost and when let's say their executives or their ceo or let's say even if it's a team of 5 to 10 people they have a, a big chunk of monthly or yearly expenditure which is salaries or infrastructure logistics etc now when they make a film then they also to make the they would want the film let's say if they have an option to make 10 films of very low budget or versus three films with medium to big budget they'll always go for three films because with 10 films they'll also have to put in more effort yes this is 10 number and also with 10 films they will not be able to uh, uh, bring it out in bigger uh, let's say bigger marketing because uh, the if the budget is let's say 50 lakhs how can we spend 1 crore on marketing it just doesn't the financials would not make sense so that's the reason i think studio generally is are not interested in very low budget films i mean at least for them it has to be 3 4 cr into whatever i know uh, i'm talking about mostly mainly hindi film industry of course there are new studios like udli films tried experimenting with 1.5 cr kind of a things but uh, they were i think successful in the beginning but now all their films landed in ott platforms and now they have moved from any uh, sort of art house films to again very commercial it has to be like a, yes. um, yeah so you know even somebody who experimented and have changed directions so which is not encouraging thing for <laughs> other studios who might would have wanted to follow this yeah yeah that's there uh, take me through the process of distribution of an indie mm. film like with the films that you have made and the film festival route how has it mm. been for you so uh, i think every film had a different journey so with shuttlecock boys uh, we were lucky probably that uh, in 2012 something like directors rear came up and we managed to go get about 8 to 10 theaters release at least it was a release it was i will call it is more like a skeleton release but okay uh, it's just a stamp in a way it didn't make any money on box office it was i think not even 10 lakhs i mean it was very less uh, and then but advantage was that we managed to sell the film to eros now we were still in losses but uh, we were at least uh, okay about the fact that we made a product we made a film and it is at least available to available out in the market uh, and it would have been difficult to sell it to eros now if it was not released at least from a 2011 2012 mindset mm-hmm. so <clears throat> and we were also uh, we i mean we had actually done dvds also we sold dvds on amazon and flipkart So oh, we became nice. a vendor uh, to Flipkart and Amazon, and f- uh, thankfully it was a very sort of de- democratic process. And uh, we we told them that we'll be coming up with a DVD label for other independent films. It's just that the, after two years uh, there was no DVDs at all. Like hmm. the whole DVD market uh, ended, the era ended. So uh, so that was with respect to Shuttlecock Boys, and uh, let's say for an engineer dream. we were lucky to found financing with the broadcaster itself i mean with documentaries theatrical releases are very very rare in india so we knew that is not something that we would i mean attempt about or at least that's not something that we want to start from the beginning 
so we were lucky to find financing with the Asian Pitch. Asian Pitch is a platform. Earlier, it was used to be a consortium of four broadcasters. Now it is three. One in uh, Japan, which is NHK, KBS Korea, and Taiwan PTS. All these are national broadcasters of these respective countries. So they would pitch in some money, and uh, you make the film, and at least these channels will show it in their uh, uh, TV stations. In our case, what happened was uh, there was also a sales agent that got involved. Again, sales agent hired by them, not by me directly. And then sales agent managed to sell the film to India also in to History TV 18, and to CCTV in China, and lately to SBS uh, in Australia, which is their national broadcaster. Although it is not a big money that they sold it for, because documentaries uh, usually don't get good licensing fee. I mean, it is it is very less as compared to narrative feature films. But I thought it was at least a fairly good amount of distribution that it happened. So. So we were okay with that. And also, so like I'm saying, it's a, every project is a different. We also did a, I did a commission project of a short film called Supergirl. Yeah. Which was commissioned by a company called, it was used to be called School Cinema. Now it is called LXL Media. Mm-hmm. So what happened, they have a business model. Their business model is that uh, they only make f- uh, films for kids or teenagers. And they license those films to schools to teach them life skills. And every year they would come up with uh, 10 different ideas and then they would float those ideas with independent filmmakers who will pitch uh, as a one-pager concept that would uh, be, I mean, for for any particular idea of those from the 10 ideas. And these 10 ideas come from their research team. So in our case, what happened was they were making films for only 10-year-old kids. So we managed found distribution through them. I mean, of course, they gave us money. We made the film. And then they distributed the film. I think a lot of people, at least a lot of kids of that age, saw the film because uh, uh, it was licensed in many schools and it went to a lot of kids' film festivals across the world. Um, I think, to my estimates, like at least half a million kids have seen the film, maybe more actually. Oh, that's nice. Yeah, that's so, nice. Yeah, it's yeah. A, but it's a different business model. And uh, uh, so, so I'm trying to say is that all the projects have worked out in different ways. Uh, Sometimes distribution has come attached to uh, the producing, I mean, the financing. And sometimes, uh, at least in Shuttlecock wise, we have tried to find distribution after the film was made, which is actually more difficult. Mm. So, so yeah. What was the idea behind uh, the documentary that, like, how did this idea come to you? The documentary called Japan in Nagaland. Like, how did you come up with this thought? So I have a friend called Smita Verma and she's a journalist and she had uh, written an article on the same thing. Okay. And I read that article and I found it very curious and PSPTs uh, has an open call. So in 2014 or 13, they had uh, this open call and I pitched this idea, like I put this as an application and they approved of it. Uh, they gave me some money. So I went to Nagaland and shot it. Uh, and I also, why I was interested in this because I want, I've ne- I had never been to Northeast India before that, and I wanted mm-hmm. to sort of uh, use this as a meet, medium to explore me, like ex- me exploring Northeast India as well to whatever uh, extent it is possible. I don't really like going uh, to places and as a tourist because that is, I find it very superficial. So I think that was another way, like just go there, travel, and also make a film. Yeah. I mean, that's how I saw it. Uh, yeah. 
yeah i i relate to that if you go somewhere just make something yeah <laughs> that place <laughs> yeah that's nice and it is a very wonderful documentary it's a, about a very unheard subject yeah and it's fascinating how how people in that place relate so much to korean mm-hmm. cinema or asian cinema japanese yeah. culture it's fascinating yeah. to know yeah. about that yeah. uh could you tell me how do you balance between the art that you want to create and the com- commerce that uh other commercial needs of of this city where you work from yeah uh so it is difficult undoubtedly but uh, i think uh, i have burnt my fingers enough in the last 10 years that i've probably learnt a thing or two uh so so for commercials uh, just doing this may not be enough honestly i i also have to do some corporate films i have done quite a few in the past but now it has come down a lot especially after covid and also because i'm trying to focus on some other uh, elements of filmmaking uh, so in the last 2 years i've done only probably four or five small digital ads or small films and also i stepped away from producing it uh, these small films i just now work as a director on hire so these elements are also these kind of side gigs are also important to keep the bells running or to keep to keeping the bells so uh, but i'm trying that uh, i should be in a better place in the next 3 4 years so that i don't have to be dependent on extra side gigs and uh, all the money needs can be taken care of the big long form projects i'm okay mm-hmm. with documentaries or uh, web series or narrative fiction films uh, but i just prefer long form i'm more attached to long form so uh, but everything should come from that instead of me trying to juggle or hustle uh for money okay so, yeah i'm i'm sure this should be this uh, should be helpful for uh, aspiring filmmakers who are listening to this podcast uh and like uh i have this question mm-hmm. as in now many people uh talk about uh say this thing that it's very easy to make a film today mm-hmm. because equipments are becoming cheaper and it's very accessible but mm-hmm. how do you uh, stand out when everyone is making something and not just films there there is so much content out there everywhere like on instagram on youtube how do you prove that your sh- uh, cinema verite short film suppose you make a cinema verite short film mm-hmm. it's different from a youtuber's vlog mm. yes how do you make that difference so uh, this is something i've tried to pick up only last 3 4 years i figured uh, after a lot of uh, let's say failures or a uh, lot of mistakes that it is not about the skill primarily it is about what is the politics of a person or what is the world view of the filmmaker that plays a much bigger role because the filmmaking skill can be learned but what you are going to show in that shot or in that scene or in that film or sequence that is going to come from the world view so for example uh, if i would have made the shuttlecock boys today it would be a different film but when i made it in 2008 i was 28 years old my world view was very different uh, because i had come from software i hadn't uh, i had no understanding of uh, <clears throat> excuse me liberal studies or i had no exposure uh, but slowly when i and my exposure actually came from watching documentaries my exposure to a lot of issues uh, whether it is social issues or political issues or whatever uh, happening in the world or my world view 
was formed primarily by watching documentaries so now if i make a fiction project it will be very different than uh, i mean i'm not talking about the technical uh, or naivety in shuttlecock boys but i'm just talking about uh, just the story itself on a broader scale so i think if anybody um, is venturing into especially filmmaking of course making viral videos on instagram and youtube are different ball game uh, but if anybody wants to make films then i think the focus shall be in my personal opinion i'm not an expert but uh, primarily more on forming the world view first mm-hmm. and uh, uh, this the technical skill i mean can keep happening uh, one can keep learning on the side and uh, but because there is less emphasis on forming a world view generally in our yeah. culture i mean let's say leave bengal or kerala but <laughs> generally speaking it is yeah. uh, it is very less so uh, so that's more important i guess and i think uh, filmmaking schools also don't do much in that direction uh, which in my opinion uh, that should be done i mean it's done so it's great if somebody has come from let's say background of um, i mm. don't know sociology or human rights or uh, even journalism for that matter sometimes yeah. so so that would uh, it will form their world view and then they're trying to create a story from their world view unique world view hopefully and then they use the skill filmmaking skill whether because filmmaking skill is not very difficult to learn i mean mm-hmm. all the instagram or the influencers they have also learned filmmaking skill very well they use transitions better than a lot of commercial filmmakers <laughs> you really see okay <laughs> so okay. so so yeah that's what i think yeah i think that's a very important point i have been having such conversations lately like mm. there, there is always this pressure that you have to do a certain thing achieve a certain thing before a certain age in india yeah. maybe I, around the world also but it is very important to learn and and i think it's a very important point that you made that one should form one's world view uh, through exposure first and then mm. f- filmmaking can be learned i think i think uh, i was also uh, i made myself victim of that uh, thing that so i was 28 and i wanted to make a film before i turned 30 so hence i made went and made shitlock boys but uh, by the time it got completed i was already 32 so i even failed at that barring failing at making the film so don't have <laughs> no, such, no, such thoughts yeah <laughs> yeah well uh, could you tell me about your future projects what are you making next uh, so right now i'm enrolled at a uh, producing course with Pusa Nation Film School okay which ends in November so it's happening online uh, because i couldn't get the visa to travel to korea i mean some people got the visa so <laughs> for them it is happening on site uh, but they have uh, changed the course for people who couldn't make it to korea so uh, where i'm developing two fiction projects uh, narrative fiction projects and uh, at the same time i'm trying to do a web series uh, the web series is about uh, cyber crime okay um, and uh, whereas the fiction projects uh, deal with uh, in a way indirectly deal with whatever happening is whatever is happening in the country but not directly but sort of indirectly uh, are these going to be international co-productions or i, I am trying so for example okay. i have a project in asian contents and film market and i have actually couple of meetings lined up next week i don't know whether they'll be useful but so i'm trying uh, to form an international co-production not for money primarily but for exposure for international acceptability and to access some foreign markets that's the prime objective uh, mm-hmm. to 
so i'll try if it works out it's great but if it doesn't work out then i still want to continue on the path of making films uh, this way or that way sure sure so uh, all the best with that and we have come to the end of the podcast and it was lovely talking to you thank Likewise. you for being so honest so candid and sharing your thoughts on the films you have made and the journey you've had and your thoughts on independent filmmaking and tips for future filmmakers i'm sure many must have benefited from this conversation thank you so much for joining me thank you so much sashi and uh, thank you for the opportunity and uh, thank you for having this podcast first of all <laughs> thank you my pleasure the pleasure is mine yeah thank you all thank the you. best with your projects thank you take care thank you okay take care bye bye bye, bye.